Amen. Good morning. All right. Good morning, class. I'm just messing with you. Good to see you all this morning. We're going to be starting a new uh, adult Bible study series uh, today. Obviously, you can see it on the screen, Principles for a Healthy Marriage. And uh, this, le- this series probably will do eight lessons, I think, unless I get inspired further along the way. But principles for a healthy marriage. Marriage for most people will be your longest and your most important human relationship. This is the one uh, part of your life that is going to affect every other part. You will be married longer than you'll ever know your parents. You'll be married longer than you'll have your friends. This is the nature of life for most people. The truth about marriage is that it has the potential to be the source of your greatest joy, your greatest satisfaction, your greatest happiness in all of life. But the only way for that to happen is if your marriage is healthy. That is why the title of this is Principles for a Healthy Marriage. I could do a series called How to Stay Married for a Long Time. But listen, I've met some people that they're just married for a long time and it's not healthy. Right? I mean, they're clinging on, you know, like, uh, like they're hanging on to the face of a cliff. I'm never letting go. And they're miserable. We're aiming for something better than that. We don't want to just survive. We want to have a healthy marriage. Of course, the Bible says much about marriage. So we're going to look at these eight principles that will help us build healthy marriages. This morning, we're going to start with, uh, and I believe this is foundational, of course. I am operating under the presumption that we are Christians. I, I could, of course, say principle number one, be a Christian, but... I'm presuming that we're, we've already crossed that one. So now we'll start at the real number one. And this is where we must begin. And that is that serving your spouse is the beginning of happiness. Serving your spouse is the beginning of happiness. What I love is when I can just read a title and already make people uncomfortable. That means we're going to have a good time. Let's go ahead and get 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, it's not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Okay, let's consider first the instinct for selfishness. The instinct for selfishness. Hardwired into mankind is a selfish instinct. Uh, Right from the garden, we were selfish. God said, don't touch, this is mine. And what did we say? I want it. It looks good for me. What did Eve actually say? It will be good for me. I saw that it was a tree desirable to make one wise. In other words, I know what you said, but I won. That is selfishness. This is the motto of modern society. Do what makes you happy. Not what's right, 
Not what makes other people happy, but you need to do what makes you happy. That is selfishness. The word selfish defined means lacking consideration for other people, concerned chiefly with one's own pleasure or profit. Interesting, if you look in the New Testament, the word selfish only shows up in combination. And it shows up in combination with the word ambition. So in other words, if you were to look up selfish in the New Testament, you will only find selfish ambition, which actually implies a rivalry. Selfish ambition is this us or them or a me or you mentality. Either I can be happy or you can be happy, not both of us. That captures the idea of selfishness perfectly. It's the idea that I have to grab, I have to take in order to be happy, and it really doesn't matter if anyone else is happy. Now, of course, this enters into marriage. Marriage provides ample opportunity for selfishness to raise its ugly head. Many marriages actually are a rivalry. As a pastor, I I minister often to to married people, counsel people, but very often I see in marriage it's like a subtle rivalry. Who's going to get the most or who's going to uh, be the most blessed and rarely are we trying to give the most. So selfishness in marriage comes in many varieties. Pastor Mitchell often said, Marriage is two selfish people locked in a room with no door. I don't, you, know, that's, you know, the problem with our generation is that you think there's a door. That's, that's a whole different study, but, you know, just, just point that out. Listen, if you're looking for a way out of your marriage, that's because you are selfish. So think about this. Marriage and selfishness. Sometimes we actually get married or we enter into marriage for selfish reasons, right? Think about that for a moment. We can enter marriage for selfish reasons. Some people, they get married to get away from a bad situation, right? Oftentimes, young ladies, if they're in a bad home, they're in a bad, they will get married to, to get away from a bad situation, Some people will get married simply because they're lonely. Now listen, I understand that's part of the reason. If you're lonely, then marriage might be part of the answer. But that's not why you should get married. That's a selfish reason for marriage. Some people get married purely for sexual gratification. Others and many people in our generation, they are getting married as an attempt to heal or fix what's wrong with them. Listen, we are a broken people. We have all kinds of issues. There's all kinds of problems inside of us, all kinds of brokenness. And a lot of times we will get married as an attempt to heal us or to patch us up. But within marriage, then, of course, we see selfishness manifested in several different ways. I I don't think I can probably list them all, but let's think about some of the high points here. How we see selfishness in marriage. One, we see it in insistence and demands. This is true of many, many marriages. There is, each spouse has their own list of demands or musts 
in a marriage. It's an unwavering demand. This is what you will do. This is what I will do and I expect it. Right? This is selfishness made manifest. Our demands. There's one man I used to pastor and they were not you know, very well off. They, you know, they were having all kinds of financial difficulties. They, you know, they're struggling to make ends meet. And, uh, but the, the man, because of the way he was raised in his mind, if there isn't like a steak on my plate, this isn't dinner, right? If the wife dared to make chicken, right? Or whatever, or hamburgers or hot dog, anything, right? So, no, 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 this isn't, he made it, this is my demand. One time she comes to me crying, Pastor, we can't afford to buy diapers or nappies or whatever. What do we call those here? You know, you put on a kid and they fill them up, right? The piggy bank, they fill it up, they make deposits, then you take it to the bank and you know what I'm talking about? The nappies, is that what we call them? They couldn't afford it because he, dema- he had a demand. You know, that's selfish, right? But we have all kinds of demands like that. I will do this. You must do that. It must be like this. That is selfishness made manifest. Then, of course, the same token, we have selfishness made manifest by refusals. I will never. I will never do this. I will never do that. I'll never go there. They are non-negotiable things. Now, of course, we're not talking about righteousness. There should be some things that we as Christians, they are demands and they are refusals, right? We will go to church no matter what. My kids will go to church, right? That's a demand. That's an insistence. That's not selfishness. That's righteousness. That's not what I'm talking about. But we have these things. We have, we have demands and we have refusals. This is selfishness in a marriage. Then, of course, we can be emotionally selfish, Spouses can withhold emotion or overuse emotion as a way to manipulate each other. This is a selfish tool of manipulation. You can be sexually selfish. This is connected to demands and refusals. But listen, we'll talk about this in a future lesson, but selfishness in the bedroom is always harmful. We can be selfish in finances, right? We, we have families that uh, within the marriage structure, one spouse has the right or the freedom to spend and the other doesn't. That's wrong. It doesn't work that way. I, I pastored a couple one time and, uh, you know, you know, you never know when, when a couple comes to you for counseling, I just want to, you know, sometimes you're wondering which one is the crazy one. And you don't know at first, right? And I remember the, the wife coming to me and, and, and she's telling me these things. And I thought, there's just no way. This is not true. I, I refuse to believe, right? And, and it was essentially this. It was like, my husband won't, he, he never gives me any money. In fact, if, like, if it's time to go grocery shopping, he has to be my chaperone at the store, right? And if I'm picking things up, well, why are you getting that? Because we need to eat, you know? And he would monitor that. Then uh, all the things he refused to put his wife's name on the car insurance so she she couldn't drive. I mean, and this just went on and on. And it wasn't because they didn't have any money. It's because he was crazy. Sorry, you guys are looking at me all offended. That's crazy, right? That is 
that is a manifestation of incredible selfishness. I have the right to spend. He would buy all kinds of stuff, right? Oh, look what I got. I got this new thing and I put right on this in my car and all. Right? My wife couldn't buy anything. She, I, I honestly think she only owned one dress. She would wear the same dress to church every service. Not because they were poor, but because he was very selfish. So, of course, that's an extreme example, but... We see this in subtle ways, whose needs come first in the family. And I could probably go on, right? I just want to make the point that selfishness does rear its ugly head inside a marriage. But consider for a moment the root causes of selfishness in marriage. I believe uh, the most common causes of selfishness, number one, is past rejection. People who have suffered rejection in the past, they instinctively uh, develop a protective uh, response to life. Everything they do is a way to protect themselves. And this often results in selfishness. I will never, I will always, you will never, you will always. That's actually a way to protect you, your, uh, your fragile emotional well-being. If you have a history of rejection, it's very difficult to honestly give yourself to someone, to be vulnerable to a spouse because of your own past rejection. Then, of course, past violation. Unfortunately, in life, many people have been abused and harmed in life in various different ways. But people who have suffered abuse oftentimes close up they become self-focused. Listen, that's not evil. That's probably just an instinct, but it is harmful. It doesn't have to be evil to be harmful. This will hurt your marriage. And then, of course, a lot of selfishness comes from unrealistic expectations. Most people, let, let, let's just be honest, all people, everyone goes into marriage with unrealistic expectations. You have an idea of what it will be like, and it's never like you think. That doesn't mean that it's worse. It's just different. It's never going to be like you think. You have an imagination, oh, this is what it's going to be, right? And he will always talk like this to me, and she will always dress like that. And this will always be, you have unrealistic expectations, and that can result in selfish demands, which inevitably lead to disappointment. So this is the instinct of selfishness in marriage. Let's talk then for a moment about marriage and service. Marriage and service. I said in the beginning that serving your spouse is the beginning of happiness. So let's talk about marriage and service. Marriage is a relationship that is defined by, you, and I need you to get what I'm saying, defined by. It doesn't, I'm not saying marriage involves service because that is not true. That is patently false. Marriage is defined by serving one another. That is the very definition of marriage. Genesis 2, 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Okay, the, the very conception of marriage in God's idea was we're going to help each other. 
that, listen, this was before marriage even existed. God's idea of marriage is we will serve each other. That is the definition of marriage. It is two people helping one another in the task of surviving life. Now, biblically, this goes both directions. I'm going to take a minute and I'm going to burst some old-fashioned Christian bubbles here and hopefully you'll forgive me and I'll survive this morning with all of my limbs intact. Ephesians 5, 22 through 29. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject, subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and give, gave himself for her. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Okay, so this is a scripture that we hear preached often, but usually only half of it. This is, I, I believe, one of the great, if not the greatest mistake of Christian teaching about marriage is that they don't get this verse right. Just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever heard a sermon or a study about wives submitting to their husbands? Right? We've all heard it, right? Some of you are afraid to lift your hand. You're afraid you're going to get hit. Over and over and over. Right? Jezebel. Submit, right? How often have we heard sermons about husbands love your wives as much as Christ loved the church, and died for her. Crickets, right? We, I, I, is, that even, is that in the Bible? It's the same verse. We don't ever hear that. And this is why a lot of people who are not familiar with Scripture, either they will abuse the teaching of the Bible for selfish gain, of course, this is usually men, but then many people are turned off by the idea. You begin to talk about roles in a marriage and many times women get defensive. Well, don't, I don't even want to go there because I've already heard. I know what you're going to say. Listen, this is one of the great mistakes of much of Christian teaching is that we only emphasize one part of this. I've heard all kinds of sermons in conferences, in discipleships, in rallies, in churches about submit but precious few are the times I've legitimately heard a fiery sermon about a man who ought to serve his wife. And they're both in the same Bible. You can even feel it right now just saying that. It feels uncomfortable. You feel like this is false doctrine. But it's right there in the Bible. Listen, I, I want to lay something on you. If you're not married yet, just lock in on this. I'm going to help you. I want to save you. I want to, I, want to, I want to make a deposit for your future happiness. Marriage works best when both spouses are serving each other to the best of their ability. That is the best 
possible recipe for marriage. When a man and a woman are doing everything they can to serve one another. Now, of course, we are going to serve differently, right? We have different abilities, different giftings, different opportunities, different needs. So service is going to be different. The point is not to remove our identity or gender roles, but it's about a spirit of servanthood. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is, puff, it is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, and is not provoked, thinks no evil. Okay, think about these words that are being used here. Envy, parade itself, rudely seek its own, provoke, think evil. These are all statements of selfishness. And he says love is not. Love does not envy. Love is not rude. It doesn't parade itself. Parade itself. What is parade itself? That's, that's like a 14-year-old boy who's, who's got his favorite outfit on walking the halls of school. Parade itself, right? He's got that, you know, that, that man. I look, you know, doesn't realize, you know, he's got toothpaste back to his ear. Man, he, he's convinced he's the man, right? Ladies, you know, right? When you had a good hair day, right? And, and your top, man, it goes with your eyes. And you, and you look and you go, oh, today is the day. That's what parade itself is. He says, that's not what love is. Love isn't about me. It's not about puffing myself up. Love is the opposite of that. So what does it mean then to serve your spouse? Or what does it look like? Let's, let's think of three major categories. Number one, we serve the physical or the practical needs of our spouse. Many spouses, they simply coexist in the same home. There's many people, maybe even here this morning. Yes, you live with your wife or your husband. You guys go to the same address. You will eat at the same table. But you're, you are just coexisting in many ways. You are not investing in that person in any kind of meaningful way. Listen, it means that we are living in a mutually beneficial relationship. We care for them when they are sick. Do you remember the vows? Right? In sickness and in health. Yeah, but Pastor Heinberg, that, that, was, that was what she's supposed to do for me, right? No, you said it too. Right? You, you are to care for them in a literal way. Actually, care for them physically. It could be as simple as simply helping your spouse with whatever they're doing. Again, crickets. I need to get one of those sound, right? Where it just goes silent. Now, listen, I believe gender roles are helpful. They are useful and they are good. However, they become a curse to your marriage when they become a brick wall that no one can cross. And I'll give an example. I have a friend. He's a good man, right? But there was a time when his uh, first, uh, when his daughter was born and uh, she had made a deposit in the piggy bank, right? She needed to be changed. His wife was sick, like violently ill. She was, she was vomiting. She, she simply couldn't even get out of bed. And so the, the kind, caring man that he was, he's like, honey, you know, she needs to be changed, you know? She's like, I can't move. 
So you know what he did? He packed the baby up, drove her to his mother's house. I, and when he told me this story, he was like laughing. I said, bro, I've lost a little bit of respect for you. I mean, you seriously couldn't change a nappy once in your life? No, that's what women do. Bro, you are missing the point. You stood before God and you said in sickness and in health, I'll help you. Oh, I feel it this morning. This would be a good one. You can help. It's okay. It doesn't make you less of a man. And in fact, if we could hack into your wife's brain every time you help her, it probably makes you more of a man in her eyes. You see that she's, but yes, I know you've got a job. You worked, you had a long day. So did she. Help her out. Give her a hand. It's okay. You can, you can lend, you know, there's times I'll be working away, you know, the nature of my job. I don't clock in and clock out. It's kind of all the time. There's, and it's not all the time, but occasionally I'll see Rachel. She's preparing dinner and I'll ask, can I help you? Can I do something? Listen, she's way better at all of it than me. Right? In the time it takes me to cut up an onion, she could cook the whole meal. Right? She's better at it, but I'm still going to help. It's okay. Single men, you better be hearing me right now. We announced this, um, we're having this Christmas potluck. And some of these single, uh, I'm going to roll with males at the moment. With They volunteered to buy raw ingredients and, and pay someone to cook them. Bro, let me let you in on a secret. You learn how to cook something, getting married is going to be a heck of a lot easier. Sorry, that's for free. I don't even in this lesson. Man, I'm just dispensing free advice for you this morning. Right? It's okay to help. Let, let, let's turn it around. Listen, men. If your wife is better organized, if she's not as scatterbrained as you, it's not against the law for her to handle your finances. It's okay. It it, it actually, there's no problem with that. I I, I, got to tell you guys, I'm really enjoying this lesson. (laughs) If only for the facial expressions. We need to install a camera where I can snapshot. People like, I might just convert to Mormonism. I don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) To serve means share the load, right? If your wife needs a break, give her a break. If your husband needs a break, give him a break. That's what it means to serve. We help one another with what's happening in life. Be a blessing to them. Do something that will help and bless another person, right? So what things... Small or large, could you do that would be a blessing to your spouse? It's worth thinking about that. So these are physical, practical needs. Let's talk then about spiritual needs. If we're going to serve our spouse, we need to serve their spiritual needs. You must remember to view your spouse as a spiritual creature. To see them as the whole that God created. First Peter 3 verse 7. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weak, weaker, as to the weaker vessel, as being hers together of, of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, he's, he's actually giving a command, be conscious that there is a spiritual component to this relationship. You need to serve and meet spiritual needs. You can serve them by praying for them, 
You can serve them by supporting them and encouraging them in their walk with God. In our scripture, it uses the phrase heirs together. Listen, men and women are different. I know the world says that's not true, but it really is true. Everybody actually knows that. Nobody believes that men and women aren't different. But we have this collective insanity where the world pretends we're not. We know we are. We're all different. But the Bible says that spiritually there is an equality. You are heirs together in the kingdom of God. The man or the woman is not more or less important in the kingdom of God. He says you are heirs together. You will inherit together. That's what he's saying there. So invest in your spouse's spiritual needs. Serve them. Give your spouse room to serve God. Not just as your spiritual accessory. I've met guys like this, right? You know, they're all, man, they're on fire. They're a disciple. They're doing all these things. And, you know, and the wife is just the pretty face, right? You talk, hey, where's your wife? You know, oh, she's at home. You know, why, why isn't she with you? Right? Rachel and I have served God together our whole marriage, our whole relationship. That's one of the great joys of this. So give your spouse room to serve God together uh, and, and help them, support them in that. I pray for Rachel every day. I pray specific things. I know she prays and reads her Bible, so I pray that God would speak to her, give her revelation, that she would hear his voice, that he would give her favor with people and wisdom and all kinds of things. So we need to serve our spouse's spiritual needs. And then the third major category, we need to serve our spouse's emotional needs. You know, the mistake is to view all emotion as merely consequence or the result of the other things. In other words, if I'm nice, then you should be happy, which is, which is how most guys view all of life, right? Wait, I said three nice things to you today. Why aren't you happy, right? And so we misunderstand a lot of how emotions work. The problem is each individual's emotional needs are different. And emotional uh, needs or emotions are affected by much more than simply the basics. In other words, you can be a nice guy, you could never say anything mean, and yet your wife can still feel that you don't appreciate her. You guys are thinking that's blasphemy, right? And all the ladies on the inside are nodding. Pastor, please continue, right? Because some things actually need to be said. I appreciate you, right? And there's guys like, why would you say that? I, you know, I bring home my paycheck. She knows I appreciate her. You've heard the old joke about the, the husband and his wife comes to him and she's crying and, and all the, and what's wrong? And she's like, you never tell me that you love me. And he said, sweetheart, I told you I loved you on the day we get, got married. And if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> Yeah, that was 50 years ago, bro. You, you've got to actually say it sometimes. Say the words. And y'all ain't appreciating this as much as you should. Some of you, I am helping you tremendously right now. Say things like, honey, I love you. Say, darling, you look beautiful today. Not after she asks you, how do I look? You look beautiful. You... Listen, now, of course, after she asks you, you always say that. That's always the right answer. 
But pro tip, listen, I've been married 23 years. I have no bruises on my body. None of my bones have been broken. Sometimes say it before she asks. Right? Sometimes say it when you know she doesn't feel that way. Right? If it's one of those days, right? And you can tell. When what you want to say is, oh, darling, you didn't even get dressed today. Right? You're still in your pajamas. That's what you want to say. Don't say that. Right? When you notice, right, it, it appears that she has given up on combing her hair or putting makeup on. Can I, first of all, guys, listen to me. It's your fault. Because you are the one that gave her those children that are making her crazy. So when it's one of those days, try one of these. Be like, babe, I don't know what it is, but you look good today. You know, her hair's out here, right? She's got residue from some child's who knows what over here, right? Just trust me. Sorry, this is turning into a marriage seminar. I got to get back to what my actual lesson is about here. 1 Samuel 1, verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? I'm not better to you than ten cents. Now, Elkanah gets points for effort, right? Am I not better than you than ten sons? The answer is very simple. No, of course you're not, knucklehead. That's why she's crying, because she wants a son. However, he's, he gets a lot of credit here because he was in tune to the fact that something was wrong with his wife. And if you read the whole story, he went, found out something was wrong. He was wrong about the answer, but then he did everything he could to solve the problem. He began to give her offerings to give in the temple, which is where she was laying out her need before God. He loved her and treated her well because he identified she had an emotional need. So listen, husbands and wives both ought to make an effort to identify and serve valid and realistic emotional needs, right? And I could go on, this could be a whole lesson in and of itself, but wives, your husband needs to feel respected and he needs to hear it. He, from you, right? Not just from people on the job. He needs to know that you respect him. You as a wife, are called to give your husband dignity. Don't treat him like a kid. Don't talk to him like a child. Oh, well, never mind. I'll just do it for you. You are called to invest in your husband's emotional well-being. Husbands, it's the same. Your wife wants to feel loved and appreciated. It's not enough just to know it intellectually. She needs to see in how you act and talk that you do genuinely care for and respect her. And you appreciate all that she does. Listen, it doesn't matter if we think or feel these things. We are going to serve our spouse's emotional needs. It means you need to say it and to show it. But of course, if we are going to meet needs, which is the essence of service, right? True serving depends on true knowing, doesn't it? You can't serve a need without knowing what the need is. The reality is it's impossible to accurately serve your spouse unless you know what they really need. First Peter 3, verse 7. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. He says, dwell with them with understanding. 
Let me let you in on a secret. God never commands what is impossible. Ever. And so, I know that we like to joke about this man and say, oh, women, you can't understand him. Only because you're a knucklehead. If you can't understand your wife, listen, you're just not paying attention. You're doing it wrong. And listen, I know that, again, I am flying in the face of what a lot of preachers say. I've heard whole sermons. Oh, you know, man, you, listen, your wife, you'll never fear out. Just buy her flowers and she'll be okay. No, that's stupid. Understand what she wants. Because the Bible says so. And, and if you want to fact check me later, go talk to Rachel. Ask her if I understand her better than the average male. And the answer might surprise you. Understanding, in our text, this word, it means knowledge or information that comes from the root word that means to perceive and to come to know or to come to knowledge. God's command for married people is know your spouse. You need to know them. All right, I want to stop right there, open up for questions, comments. Uh, if you have a question this morning, I'm ready for you. <laughs> you just got to raise your hand. Let me see you. Yeah, Daryl. Someone going to bring a mic. Good one. So, you say that you understand, Rachel, but are there ever times when you don't understand? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the key is to find out. And so, one of the, you know, obviously... We could do a whole lesson on understanding. Maybe, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll add that on as principle number nine. But uh, understanding, usually the breakdown is simply communication. I will have couples in sometimes for marriage counseling, and within 10, 15 minutes asking a few questions, it's like there's revelation. And then I'll say, you guys could have figured this out. If you would have asked a question and listened to the answer, you would have gotten the same answer I just got. So many spouses just don't. Right? They'll retreat. Oh, man, uh, man, my wife's in a bad mood today. I don't know what the deal is, right? She's been in a mad mood. It's been like six or seven days. I don't know why it is. Hey, I know, right? And, and guys, if you don't know the answer, ask me later. I'll tell you, right? But they've never asked. They've never tried to figure things out. So, yes, there are times, many times. Uh, in fact, I, I would, let me, let me go back. The reason I think that Rachel and I have a good understanding of each other now is because we had so many seasons when we didn't understand, but we worked to figure it out. Yeah, excellent question, Daryl. Very good. What else? I feel like I'm making per people nervous this morning. It's all right. God's going to help us. It's going to be a great series. Any other questions? Yes. Edmund's bringing the mic. Guys, let's make sure the mics are turned on before we give them, please. These situations where um, people can be dating for years mm. and then they get married, but then it only lasts for a few months. Why is that? so different like mm. it's still we still the same people right. is marriage more stressful than dating <laughs> no uh, so the I'll be honest enough to say i don't know I, i'm not going to try to give you a complete answer that that's a big question right 
But, uh, you know, in the world, you know, outside of church, what you see in the world is when people are dating long-term, especially if they're living together long-term, there is uh, an ideal uh, where they believe they are free, right? If this doesn't work out, we're not married. I can just walk away. And the moment we become married, the whole perspective changes. That's why, of course, in the church, we don't do that, right? That's one of the great dangers. But as for why it happens, there could be probably many other reasons. But remember, the devil hates marriage because God loves it, so the devil will fight it. But if you fight for your marriage, God will help you. Yeah, good question. Very good. Anything else before we move on? Yes, Antonio. Pastor, I just want to ask you, man, we live in a society now where finances impacts relationships, like plays a major role mm-hmm. in a marriage especially. So why is it that uh, finances affects a marriage or relationship um, so much where, example, like maybe... Okay, let me, let me just pause you for one second because I'm going to do a whole week about finances uh, in, in, in my series. Are you okay to wait? All right, so I, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it. So we're going to do a whole lesson on finances in marriage. Okay, I want to talk then just briefly about the reward of serving, uh, and I'm going to try to move quick. I don't want to leave anything undone. So the great lie of modern society is that marriage is fifty-fifty. Right, Every, you do your part, I'll do my part, and it works out. That will never work. It will never work. Right? The, the reality about marriage is that uh, it, it can never be a perfectly equal partnership. The idea is that if we each do just enough, I do my half of the chores and you do your half of the chores and it all works out. Yeah, the problem is what if you're sick and you can't, you know, give your, you know, theoretical 50%. What if you have a bad month? Right? What if a loved one dies? Right? How do you, it, it will never work if you are looking for an even split, right? Anyone who has more than one child knows what this is like. No matter what, you, you can, you know, wrap something up in your hand where no one can see. If I were to walk over here and give it to Claire, right? Within seconds, Kate would be like, I want one. Grace like, give me, Dad, I want one. Never mind that it's trash I picked up off the floor, right? How many of you know kids are like that? We want it even. I want it even. Listen, marriage is not even. It will never be even. It's not going to balance out perfect. Two very basic principles in marriage. Number one, you should always give 100% as often as you can. You should give. What, listen, what you contribute to the marriage should be enough to make it work even if you were the only one trying. And I know I'm the only one saying this, right? That's because it's true. Our world isn't a big fan of truth. If you're giving 50% and she's giving 50% and you have a bad month, marriage over because we're, we're lacking now. You should always give everything you can, all of your effort. And the second crucial principle is if you want to survive in marriage, you have to learn to accept shifting balances. The balance in the home is always going to be moving back and forth. The balance of workload, who's doing more or less who is uh, having their needs met better and, and worse. These things are always going to be moving. It's, it's an oscillating. It's never going to be this perfect straight line right down the, mar- the middle. In every healthy marriage, now that's the important qualifier, healthy. 
in every healthy marriage, there's going to be seasons when one spouse is giving more than the other. That's okay. It's supposed to be that way. The problem is sometimes I have marriage counseling and it basically boils down to this. Pastor, I've determined that over the last 14 days, I'm giving like 52% and they're only giving 48%. Yeah, welcome to life, homie. This is just the way it works. It, it changes over time because listen, that pendulum is going to swing back. It's going to move in different directions. If you give up, you stamp your feet and march out, well, for the last six months, I have been putting in more work than you. I'm out of here. Listen, you are never going to find a happy marriage because it's always shifting. Right now, th this particular season of my life, I do the Prescott Conference video uh, every six months. So every six months, there's a season of life where my brain, uh, if you could look at it, it would look like scrambled eggs fell on the floor because I have too much going on. My brain is, it's just all these things and it's all. And so, you know, uh, sometimes I'll catch Rachel looking at me and she's like, are you okay? And I got to blink a few times. Yes. No, sorry. Am I just... I, I'm out there. I, I, I was working on the conference video at six o'clock this morning. I had, this is just, that's, that's okay. She is carrying much more of the load relationally or emotionally at the moment. It's okay because it'll swing back because she knows from experience when this season is over, I will give back what she's given to me. That's the point. Listen, so if you want it to work, number one, don't ever Try to give, you should always be giving all that you can. And number two, be willing to accept shifting balances. These things will come around. The principle of serving insists that by nature there will very often be imbalance. But I believe that serving each other is the truest path to genuine marriage happiness. Right? Imagine with me for a moment, if you will the perfect life, right? And you woke up in the morning and there was this person of the opposite sex who was doing everything they could to make you happy, right? And then imagine that lasted forever. I just described to you the way God designed marriage to work. But see, it only works because you're both doing it. You are investing in them. You are doing, and, and like I said, the seasons shift, it comes and goes, but you are legitimately doing everything you can to make your wife happy, to make your husband happy. Listen, if two people are trying their best to serve one another, the default response is happiness in marriage. There is no other outcome. You will find happiness there as you serve each other. See, we have been programmed to think that taking or asking is how we get happiness. All right, this is what I want. On my birthday, I want you to cook this just like my mother made, right? And this is what I want. I want you to give me, you know, 15 carrots, right? And you know what? You can ask and demand and get, and some of you have discovered that no happiness comes with it. But as you serve and as you give, you'll discover the happiness comes. On the other hand, if you make it your mission to serve your spouse's needs, you'll unlock something supernatural in your marriage. And this is what I've had the joy of discovering throughout the length of my marriage. The more you try to make someone else happy, the more you find yourself happy. Husbands, listen to me. If you spent 
some time each day, even just a little bit of time each day, thinking, how could I make my wife happy? Right? And then follow up on it. For many of you, this would revolutionize your entire relationship. What does my wife need? What does she want from me? What could I do to make her happy? Listen, it could be as simple as simply some time for her to talk where you are listening, not trying to give her answers. Listen, guys, when your wife is talking to you, just listen. Don't give her the answer. She already knows the answer. She figured it out before she even started talking to you. She just wants you to listen. Just listen, right? It might be, be more intentional about romance. Take some time, invest in that. Wives, likewise, if you turned uh, the same attention on your husband, not just what did he ask for, but what does he need? How can I help him? How can I meet his needs? The point of service is not responding to requests, but it's seeking to be a blessing to a person. My wife has been a blessing to me in ways beyond uh, the scope of time uh, I could ever describe to you. But here is the miracle. This unlocks the miracle of joy in the home because you're both serving one another. If I do my best to make Rachel happy, the other side of that is that she's doing the same. She's also trying to make me happy. And listen, this can work in your marriage as well. Someone once said, there's no marriage happier than one in which two people are focused on the well-being of the other And I would say probably the opposite is also true. But this also is the truest reflection of Christ in your marriage. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. I want to just share a story briefly. Uh, I think we're out of time for questions. Stephen Covey wrote, he was at a seminar and uh, the man came to him and he said, Stephen, I, I like what you're saying, but every situation is so different. Like my marriage, for example. I'm really worried. We just don't have the same feelings that we used to have. I guess I just don't love her and she doesn't love me, so what should I do? And so I, he asked him, he said, so you're saying the feeling isn't there, right? And he said, that's right. We don't feel anything anymore. And we've got three children, so what should I do? He says, what you need to do is love her. He said, no, you don't understand. I told you the feeling is gone. And he said, that's right. That's why you need to love her. And and the man says, listen, I really think you don't get, I'm, I'm telling you, you're telling me to love her, but I don't feel love anymore. And he said, no, you don't understand because love, the feeling only comes after love, the verb. Love is not something you feel first. What did our scripture say? Love is patient. Love is kind. It bears all things, endures all things. If you will do the things necessary, there's some of you right now, maybe you think your marriage is getting a little cool. Well, you know what you need to do? You need to love your spouse. Go invest in them and serve them and the feelings will follow. Amen. That's all the time we've got this morning. We're going to break. Morning service begins in five minutes.